Holy Communion by St. Peter Julian Emart Continuing Chapter 42 Virginity of Heart There are two kinds of purity in our love of Jesus Christ. The first is the virginal purity, which is the natural fruit of love for Jesus. The soul smitten by this love, influenced by this attraction, desires to devote itself wholly to the Divine Spouse. Everything is for Him. That she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. This soul is a lily, and Jesus delights to be among the lilies. He reigns in this soul's calm and pure mind, whose only light is His truth. He reigns in its heart, in which he is like a king on his throne. He reigns in its body, all of whose members are consecrated to him and offered as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This purity is the soul's strength. Before a virginal soul, the devil trembles. By a virgin, the world was vanquished. Are there many virginal hearts which have never loved anyone but our Lord? There ought to be a great many, considering what Jesus Christ is. What man, what king can compare with him? Who is greater, holier, more loving? Beyond question, the royalty of this world cannot equal the virginal kingship of Jesus Christ. There were many such souls during the ages of persecution, many in the centuries of faith, when the honor of giving one's heart only to the King of Heaven, of belonging to Him alone, was appreciated. There are still many in our own day, despite the war made against them by the world and their kindred. They are angels in the midst of the world, and martyrs to their fidelity. Terrible and treacherous are the assaults made against them by the world and by their families, who try in every imaginable way to snatch from them the royal crown they have received from the hands of their spouse, Jesus Christ. Our Lord rewards the faithfulness of these souls by making His union with them more and more intimate. Himself the essence of purity, He ceaselessly works at their purification till he has made of them a gold without dross. They will have a unique recompense in heaven. And I beheld, says St. John, the virgin apostle, and lo, a lamb stood upon Mount Zion, and with him a hundred forty-four thousand, having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. And they sang, as it were, a new canticle before the throne. And no man could say the canticle, but those hundred forty-four thousand, for they are virgins. These follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth, for they are without spot before the throne of God. For those who lack this crown of virginal purity, there remains purity of love through penance. This purity, won back by the most violent struggles, by such sacrifices as are most grievous to nature, is beautiful, strong, and noble. It strengthens the soul and gives it self-mastery. This purity is also the fruit of love for Jesus. 
When divine love takes possession of a repentant heart, its first effect is to rehabilitate it. It purifies and ennobles it and restores its honor. Next, love aids the heart in the combats it must wage against its former masters, its evil habits. Because of its struggles and its breaking of old bonds, penitent love gives a magnificent example. Its virtue appears before the world. Its victories are sublime. Its greatest triumph being that it gives humility. Let us, then, purchase, even at the cost of the greatest sacrifices, this gold tried in the fire of purity, in order that, so enriched, we may clothe ourselves in the white garments we must have to enter into heaven. Who shall ascend into the mountain of the Lord, the innocent in hands and clean of heart? Thus, the great task of the present life is to make ourselves pure. Nothing unclean shall enter into the kingdom of God's holiness. That we may see him and contemplate the splendor of his glory, the eye of our soul must be wholly pure. Though we should have only a speck of dust on our wedding garment, we may not enter into heaven until we have cleansed it in the blood of the Lamb. For that word spoken by our Lord shall not pass away. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall render an account for it in the day of judgment. One must never cease to purify oneself. Rather than lose the treasure of purity, it would be better to flee into the desert, condemn oneself to a life of privation. It would be better to abandon all one's activities, however good and praiseworthy they might be. The salvation of all the souls in the world is not so important as your own salvation. What God wants from you first of all, and above all, is that without which all else is nothing, yourself. Oh, if we have not all the sublime and heroic virtues of the saints, let us at least be pure. And if we are so un have been so unfortunate as to lose our baptismal innocence, let us clothe ourselves with the innocence of penance. Without purity, there can be no life of love. Chapter 43 The Spirit of Jesus Christ But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17 If we examine ourselves carefully, we find that nature reasserts itself at the slightest opportunity and tries to rule us. Our mind is constantly inclined to yield to the activities, the frivolity, and the curiosity which are natural to it, our heart to its own preferences and human affections, our will, so impetuous in everything it does by choice and by impulse, follows languidly the inspirations of God, our whole soul, but lately calm and recollected in holy meditation, loses its recollection in an instant and no longer thinks of God. In our relations with others, we forget God. Such is this nature of ours, which far from being dead, is neither conquered nor even well controlled, 
and which at every moment gets out of hand. Alas, we are like hothouse plants, which wither or freeze if moved out of doors. This indicates that our inner life is forced and artificial. It is alive when warmed by the fire of prayer, but icy cold as soon as we are left to ourselves or go about our outside occupations. What causes this? There are two causes. The first is that apart from prayer, we draw no spiritual nourishment from what we are doing. When we study, it is not from devotion, but from zeal, from natural diligence. We make intercourse with others a distraction instead of finding therein an opportunity to work for God. Consequently, our various occupations are like a fever which weakens us and consumes us. Certainly we must work, but at the same time our spirit must find nourishment in the virtue of our labor. We must do our work with recollection in God, see in it the accomplishment of God's plan, keep ourselves in His holy will, and say before every action, I am doing this to give glory to God. The second cause is this. We lack a spiritual center to which we may retire to recruit our spent forces, restoring them in proportion as we use them up. Our life flows on like a torrent, all rushing sound and movement. The thought of God's presence, or of His will, or of His glory, or of some mystery or virtue, should be habitual to us. In short, we should live in awareness of Jesus Christ, beneath His eye, by His inspiration, just as He lived in union with His Father. For let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Both in His words and His actions, this union of Jesus with His Father is manifested. In His words, I have not spoken of Myself. All things whatsoever I have heard of My Father, I have made known unto you. Thus our Lord listens to the Father, consults Him, and then faithfully repeats His divine answer without adding or subtracting anything. He is only the Word of the Father. He repeats His words with respect because they are holy, with love because they are a gift of His goodness, with power because they are to sanctify the world, remake it in the light of truth, revive it in the fire of love, and one day pronounce judgment on it. For this reason, the words of Jesus were the breath of life. They warmed with a mysterious fire. Was not our heart burning within us whilst he spoke? They were all powerful. If my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you will, and it shall be done unto you. Like rays of light from the sun, so the words of Jesus proceeded from him to dispel interior darkness. That is what we must be to all men, the word of Jesus Christ, just as the apostles were, and the first Christians. The Holy Ghost spoke through them to the heathen. St. Paul enjoined that on the faithful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you abundantly. This has been taken from 
Holy Communion by St. Peter Julian Emard. This and other books by St. Peter Julian Emard, the Apostle of the Eucharist, are available through MMR Publishing. Call toll-free 1-877-395-2320.